Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading tonight is from 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting at verse 3, 3 to 12. Um, And that can be found on page 1217 in the Church Bibles. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Rebecca, thank you. Let's uh, pray as we are now turn to look at that uh, Bible passage. Our Father, we've just sung of uh, how vital the Bible is. Uh, We've uh, read it in these last few weeks uh, when we've been reading 1 Peter, uh, as we've heard that we should crave pure spiritual milk, craving the scriptures. We know that uh, your word is like bread to our souls. We simply can't do without it. And so we pray you would feed us uh, as we turn to the scriptures now and as we think about the Lord Jesus and our response to the gospel. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on this uh, Vision Setting Sunday, I hope you've uh, seen that if we give our all under God, we could do great things in this city. Alternatively, using the words of David Platt, writing the foreword of this little book, Risk is Right, we can retreat into a wilderness of wasted opportunity. Uh, He continues, and as he does, he throws down this challenge. We can rest content in casual, convenient, cosy, comfortable Christian lives as we cling to the safety and security that this world offers We can coast through a cultural landscape marked by materialism, characterised by consumerism and engulfed in individualism. We can assent to the spirit of this age and choose to spend our lives seeking worldly pleasures, acquiring worldly possessions and pursuing worldly ambitions, all under the banner of cultural Christianity. Or, he says, we can decide that Jesus is worth more than all this. 
We can recognise that he's created us, saved us and called us for a much greater purpose than anything this world could offer us. We can die to ourselves, our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our priorities and our plans. We can do all this because we believe that the person and the plan of Christ bring reward that make any risk more than worth it. Put simply, there's a choice between us. We can take the risk and live lives that are wholeheartedly sold out for Christ and then see what might happen. Or we can play it safe, make no real sacrifices, do nothing risky and achieve nothing extraordinary in these next 15 or 20 years. I say there's a choice, but if what we saw last week meant anything to us, there isn't really any decision to make. If you were here last week, and if you haven't been, you won't know that we've been looking through the book of 1 Peter. But if you were here last week, 1 Peter chapter 2, we saw something quite remarkable about who we are. Do you remember chapter 2, verse 5? As we come to Jesus Christ in his word, so we are being built into a spiritual house, that is the temple, to be a holy priesthood. That was what we were looking at last week. The temple, where you go to meet God, the priesthood, those people especially chosen and set apart by God to stand between God and the people. That's who we are. And with that most remarkable identity comes a most significant task. We are to, as it says at the end of chapter 2, verse 9, declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have the unique responsibility of proclaiming the gospel to the world of being a people who introduce others to the living God. When we do that, it won't always go well. We won't be thanked by everyone we tell. I learned that lesson very quickly. I became a Christian on a Friday night. It was the 25th of March, 1983. When I went to work on the following Monday morning, I was working in the newspaper industry, and when I went to work, I was so full of excitement that I'd become a Christian that I began to tell everyone. To my surprise, they weren't that excited. But in the days ahead, they tolerated me until I began to tell them that they too could be forgiven and have a fresh start with Jesus Christ and be certain of spending all eternity with Jesus in heaven when they died. Naively, I thought everyone would be thanking me for telling them about this life-saving news. They weren't. See, the world has rejected Jesus Christ and they don't want to know. That's what we saw in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. But we have this special identity. We are the temple and the priesthood. And with it comes this crucial responsibility to declare the gospel to a world that has rejected him. And so on this Vision Sunday, we think about how we might do that. Sheffield is a city of half a million people. It is the fifth largest city in England. The percentage of people in Sheffield who go to church is minuscule. The vast majority of these 500,000 people who live in this city know nothing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is desperate. And we have this privileged position. We are being built into the temple. We are the priesthood. We are called to declare the gospel and to live the gospel. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls... 
Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter says, live a life that is so outstanding that people will want to become followers of Jesus Christ. Now next week, we'll see what that kind of life looked like when we read on from verse 13. This week on Vision Sunday, we're asking what it would look like financially to live that kind of life, that kind of sold out life for Jesus Christ. Will we give money to make a difference to this great city? To change the landscape spiritually here in Sheffield in the next 20 years? In these last few weeks, as we've studied 1 Peter, we've been given everything we need to motivate us to back this vision. Now, first in chapter 1, come back with me. First in chapter 1, Peter told us of the wonderful inheritance we have in Christ. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Rebecca just read it for us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See what Peter is saying? He's saying to these people who are, who are suffering for being Christians, he's saying we have a glorious heavenly inheritance This world is not our home. We have something so much greater to look forward to, an inheritance that is absolutely certain. 4 verse 3, it is rooted in the historical fact of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is certain because, verse 4, our inheritance is being kept in heaven for us. It is certain because, verse 5, we are being kept by God for that inheritance, shielded by his mighty power. You see, everything in these verses are written to give us the assurance that we have something better to come and we'll get it. And when we've got that clear, it should give us the confidence to to throw all our eggs into this one basket, this eternal inheritance basket, if I can put it like that. And not least of all, note the phrase there in verse 4, that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Peter deliberately uses that phrase to compare our eternal inheritance with what we have here in this life. For everything in this life does eventually perish, spoil or fade, everything. And you see, when I get that, it changes what I invest in. What will will stop me from giving myself? And, and, And I mean by that, my time, my talents, my energy, my money. What will stop me giving myself to the cause of the gospel is a love for things in this life. You see, when I'm sold out for the gospel, it will mean that I will miss out on things that this world has to afford. For the first readers of Peter's letter, that was certainly the case. They were suffering just because they were Christian. If they stood up for Christ, it would cost them. They would lose their friends, their careers, their standing in society. They would lose out on things in this life. So they had to be sure that, that what they were gaining was greater. And so Peter says, our eternal inheritance can never perish, spoil or fade. Unlike everything in this life, which does just that. A couple of weeks ago, I had to go to the Apple store in Meadow Hall. I don't really like going to Meadow Hall. I'm not even that bothered about going to the Apple store, but I had to go. As I arrived there, there was a huge queue of people who'd all pre-ordered the new iPhone 6 Plus. 
all 619 pounds of it. And at the front of the queue, as people collected their new iPhone 6 Plus, I saw beaming faces as they left the store, clutching their new iPhones. They almost floated out of the store. And I thought to myself, when they all those years ago got their iPhone 3GS and their iPhone 4 and then their iPhone 5, each time I bet they were thrilled and excited as they walked out of the store, almost floating. When they first had those previous generations of iPhone, I'm sure that every time they pulled it out of their pockets or their handbags, they'd have felt so good about themselves. But now, it's just an iPhone 4. Now that the iPhone 6 Plus was available, that feeling of being top on top of the world with one of these had faded. Everything here perishes, spoils or fades. And even if you're not taken in by the clever marketing of Apple and you don't need to get the latest model, still your smart, new, shiny phone perishes when you drop it and the screen smashes. Or your love affair with your own phone, iPhone, wanes when you download the iOS 8 operating system and suddenly things don't sync properly with your other Apple products and the new operating system slows down the speed of your device and you lose your photos. Not that I'm bitter about any of that having happened to me. (laughs) I'm just illustrating that everything in this life, even Apple products, perish, spoil or fade. And I must say, I do feel a lot better for getting that off my chest. (laughs) Of course, it's not just the case with Apple products. All things that we so value in this life, the things we look forward to, the things we pin our hopes on for happiness and contentment and fulfilment, they all perish, spoil or fade. You get a new job at work and you are on cloud nine, six months into the new job and the demands are overwhelming and the late nights and the extra responsibilities take all the shine off the promotion. In time, everything in this life will either perish, spoil or fade, rust, bust or turn to dust. And that is true even of the best things in life. The things that are not bad in and of themselves. Things that God says are good. Things like relationships. The most precious of relationships like marriage and family. Because we live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, even they end eventually. And as I say that, I'm not even primarily thinking about divorce or strained and broken family relationships. I'm thinking about death. The most wonderful marriage will eventually perish. The most precious relationship with a child or a parent will eventually perish in death. And that is why our eternal inheritance finally being with Father, Son and Holy Spirit in the glorious heavenly Jerusalem is so wonderful. Because it will never end. It can't be taken from us. It will never perish, spoil or fade. It will just keep getting better. When we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing your praise than when we first begun. That's how the songwriter John Newton put it 250 years ago. And this is how Matt Redman expressed it just a couple of years ago. On that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending. 10,000 years and then forevermore. 
an unending glorious future that just keeps getting better. A relationship with the one we were made to be in relationship with that will never perish, spoil or fade. Relationships with one another that will never end. In the glorious new heavenly creation, that's what we have in Christ. And when we think of that, of what we have in the gospel, then on a day like today, when we are thinking about taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to this city, then this verse could not be more helpful, could it? Verse 4. I have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. I want others to have that same inheritance. I have from the moment I first became a Christian. Everything in this life will eventually perish, spoil or fade. So why would I invest money in things that won't last when I can give money to help people find the only thing that will last? This verse is so helpful because it helps me wrestle free from the things of this life. It exposes them for what they are, temporary. And it says I have something permanent and precious So I can give my money away, even if it means not having the little luxuries and trinkets of this life. And so with this great inheritance laid before us, Peter says, chapter 1, verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. Set your hope fully on that future inheritance. Have that eternal future as your heart's desire. See, verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. No, put your desire on that thing. So Vision Sunday asks the question, what do you desire? C.S. Lewis wrote these words. They're wonderful words. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Don't invest in the things of this life. Don't make mud pies in a slum. Invest in the things of eternity. That's what Vision Setting Day is about. It's about knowing that chapter 1, verse 7, our faith is worth more than gold. Again, for the first readers of this letter, this was such a helpful and powerful reminder. They were suffering because they were Christian. And just because they were Christian, they'd have been losing out, losing promotions at work, maybe even losing their jobs. And with their jobs, they were losing money. They were losing gold. So they had to be sure, chapter 1, verse 7, that their faith was of greater worth than gold because it was their faith that was stopping them from having gold. And by the way, gold was so much more than money. Gold meant status, significance, stability, security in life. And look, so much of our lives are about finding those things. Status, significance, stability, security. My desire for a bigger house, a smarter car, designer clothes, luxurious holidays, the best education for the children and a bigger pension is not just a matter of pure materialism and hedonism. Oh Yes, we like having stuff and enjoying life, but our desire for those things is driven 
by so much more than just a base hankering after luxury. It's bound up with wanting to be someone and wanting to be accepted and valued and important and to feel secure. See, that's what gold buys me. It can give me stuff that makes me feel important. Having much gives me a passport into places that make me feel valued. It gives me the acceptance and praise of others. It gives me security in what is a very scary world. So do you see, you've got to be sure that your faith is worth more than gold if standing for your faith means that you will lose out on gold. But knowing that your faith in Christ is worth more than gold, well, it liberates you. And it's crucial on Vision Sunday, if you're going to give more of your gold away, that you are sure of that. That's what we saw last week. Our status is bound up with who we are in Christ. We collectively are the temple of God, a royal priesthood. We couldn't have a more important place in the universe. You have to be sure that your security is not found in having money in the bank and a bigger pension pot, but as we've seen this week, that we have something that can never perish, spoil or fade. We've got a greater security to come. You have to be sure that your significance comes not from the acceptance of others, but from God. That's why all that we've seen in the first half of chapter one and then in the first half of chapter two last week is so important. Ultimate security beyond the grave. We are valued, chosen and precious to God. Our faith is worth more than gold. And if we believe that, we can sit loose to gold and all that it offers us. We can set our hope fully on what is to come. And so give ourselves fully to the work of the gospel. We can live lives that look risky. Lives that invest in doing all we can to help as many as we can come to Jesus Christ as soon as we can. So how about it? Will you own this vision that we laid out earlier? Will you pray about this vision? Will you give to this vision? Will you respond so that in 25 years' time, we're not left wondering what we might have been able to achieve if we'd really gone for it? Let's go for it. No regrets. See what we can do. Here again, the challenge from from David Platt. We can retreat into a wilderness of wasted opportunity. We can rest content in casual, convenient, cosy, comfortable Christian lives as we cling to the safety and security that this world offers. We can coast through a cultural landscape marked by materialism, characterised by consumerism and engulfed in individualism. We can assent to the spirit of this age and choose to spend our lives seeking worldly pleasures, acquiring worldly possessions and pursuing worldly ambitions, all under the banner of cultural Christianity. Or we can decide that Jesus is worth more than all this. We can recognise that he's created us, saved us and called us for a much greater purpose than anything this world could ever offer us. And we can die to ourselves, our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our priorities 
and our plans. We can do all this because we believe that the person and plan of Christ bring reward that make risk more than worth it. Let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord and God, that you have given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And it is the most glorious inheritance being brought finally and fully back into relationship with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you then that because of that, our faith is of greater worth than gold. And we pray you'd help us to believe that. To so believe it that we would live risky lives. That our minds, our hope would be fully set on that future inheritance. That every time our minds wander and our hopes drift to other things, we'd see them for what they are. Like making mud pies when we could have something so much greater. We ask you to help us to respond collectively that together we might do something very special over these next years. We pray, Heavenly Father, that for the sake of the lost, for the honour and glory of your name, you would grab hold of our hearts and you would make us sold out for you that if it please you, the landscape of Sheffield spiritually would be changed in these next years. And we ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.